Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today, we are continuing our series on COVID-19 issues in our community with someone who has been on the front line since the beginning of the pandemic, Kevin Dick, Washoe County District Health Officer. Welcome, Kevin. Well, thank you, Sherry. It's great to connect with you. Yeah, what a crazy and exhausting few months for you. Um, Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Of course, we have a lot to chat about. But the last, uh, what, it's been almost five months, hasn't it, Kevin? Well, you know, we had our first case here in uh, on March 5th, uh, but we were actually already fairly busy with COVID-19 prior to that, uh, beginning in January and February, uh, dealing with uh, travelers that were returning from uh, China and uh, with quarantine uh, for them to try to prevent uh, potential spread if they became infected. Uh, but things really obviously geared up uh, then in March when we actually had uh, COVID-19 here in our community. Oh, that's interesting. I, I don't think most of us know that you were dealing with this back in January. In our minds, COVID uh, didn't really exist until mid-March, and I think that's why we saw it as happening so fast. But for you, maybe it wasn't as fast as for us. Well, it uh, it was keeping us somewhat busy um, on the uh, uh, tra- following up of travelers and getting the flight manifest information, et cetera. But uh, the, the pace really accelerated, of course, in March after we had that first case. Yeah, what were your first thoughts when you when you realized that this was going to hit our community and that we weren't going to be able to, uh, so to speak, dodge the bullet? Well, it was uh, it was a little bit of panic, uh, really, on on the front end, um, and alarm. And uh, we f- we found out about our first case uh, actually uh, late in the day. Uh, I think it was uh, five o'clock or maybe a little bit later, and uh, it, we just uh, began scrambling uh, at that point um, to uh, assess what the situation was, um, to you know get information about where this person had been, contacts, uh, that sort of stuff. Um, of course, uh, had communications with uh, the governor's office with. Uh, county uh, management and, and uh, the Board of Health uh, to alert everybody of, of what was uh, occurring. Um, and then, uh, as, as you'll recall, that uh, case had been on the Grand Princess cruise ship. Right. right. And uh, they had taken the trip down to Mexico. Um, that was the, the first leg of that trip, and then they had uh, gotten off the ship when they got back to San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, and then that ship had, had uh, continued on to, toward Hawaii. Um, so they had been on there and um, had uh, contracted the disease early um, from that initial part of the voyage, and uh, it was also a, a family um, of several generations that were uh, on that ship, and so the uh, relatives of the case that was positive um, attended Huffaker Elementary School. So we were also immediately in a situation where we were coordinating with the school district, and I was um, on the on the phone with uh, Superintendent McNeil, uh, who was acting at, at that point, I believe. Um, and uh, we were uh, trying to assess the situation. Uh, going on at the school, um, 
uh, took a, a precaution of uh, closing the elementary uh, classroom that that uh, uh, child attended while we were um, working to get a, a testing uh, approach uh, set up. So uh, really at lightning speed, we were in, engaged fully in the fight and um, working as well with uh, our communications and how we communicate this out to the public. Uh, the very next day, we had a, uh, a press uh, conference with uh, the county manager, uh, Chair Bob Lucy, uh, Kristen McNeil, Dr. McNeil, superintendent for schools, and myself. Uh, we did press conferences, I think, uh, every day for like the next five days yeah. following that. So let me ask yeah. you, uh, Kevin, how do you how do you get out back to the public without totally panicking us? especially mid and end of March when this was so new to many of us? What I, what I was trying to do was to empower people with information about um, COVID-19, um, about, uh, you know, how much of, that, of it there was in our community, um, things that they could do to, to protect themselves um, we were operating with very limited information, you know, brand new disease, uh, but trying to help them understand um, how long the, the virus might be uh, remain on, on surfaces, what kind of cleaning they could do, you know, the, the things that they could do to help to protect themselves. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a challenge. Um, and, you know, I, I think we've we tried to, to prevent people from panicking. Um, I uh, did a, a press briefing earlier today, and I'm not sure that that's my, my message anymore. I'm, I'm trying to get people uh, to be alarmed about the situation yeah. that we have to, to make sure that they're fully engaged in the fight uh, to, to try to prevent the spread. Well, and we know um, in, in our business, both you and I, that information is power. But it's also interesting because with COVID, you're getting all sorts of information, and people aren't always getting their information from the right source. Yeah, that's uh, that's been a, a real difficulty. Is the uh, the variety of information sources people use and the um, the incorrect information that's being distributed and uh, put out there about COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, there are people that still believe it's a hoax and uh, that it's not anything real that's going on. Um, so we've had, uh, I think, superimposed on our, our fight uh, against uh, COVID-19 where we need everybody engaged. We've had sort of this culture war uh, that's been superimposed on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's gone all the way up to the federal level. Yes. Uh, yeah, and even internally inside families, I've noticed there's, a lot of a culture war on ones that believe that you should wear masks and ones that you couldn't. And I, I don't understand how masks got so political, but they certainly have, haven't they? They sure, they sure have. Um, and uh, we're we're um, really working to try to continue to message in a positive way um, uh, for people to be uh, doing masks uh, just be for them for each other, um, and and try to to get it out of this political realm with it, where it has to do with whether you are a supporter of the, the president or not or which party affiliation you have. Right. It's absolutely amazing it's gotten there. Let's go back again to mid-March. We, um, 
we shut down all except non-essential businesses. And one of the questions people have said to me is, well, who determined what's an essential and non-essential business? Was it the health district or was it the governor? So the uh, that that determination was made out of the the governor's office, um, and I believe it was really based on uh, what are the types of businesses that are m most important to keep open, so that people get the um, the supplies and and services that they need uh, that are essential for them to continue on. Uh, that they have food and, and groceries, that they have uh, their uh, medicines, uh, that they can maintain their vehicles, that they can uh, maintain their, their homes or dwellings. Um, so I think that was really kind of the focus of uh, that, that essential business determination. And that shutdown that lasted, I think, until, say, mid-June, that, that worked, right? We dropped our cases. Yes, and it, and it wasn't really quite till mid June. It was in in May that the the governor um, okay. began uh, uh, lifting and going to the next phase. Uh, it was kind of right right before Memorial Day, okay. I believe he announced it. And then I think it was uh, June fourth, maybe fifth, um, was when they allowed the uh, the uh, gaming, the casinos, uh, to reopen their operations. And, and really, since since that time, uh, if you if you're look, looking at the trends for cases in Washoe County, um, you can really see that there's been a continuing increase of cases uh, since around June 4th or 5th. Uh, but we did certainly make some some good progress uh, during that stay-at-home order and only non only essential businesses being open as far as flattening the curve and really um, uh, reducing the, the rate of increase. In the early days of the, the uh, epidemic hitting Washoe County, it was quite scary uh, to see how quickly uh, our cases were doubling. Right. And uh, I, I remember uh, doing, doing some math in March, and it looked like by the end of April, we were going to have uh, over 20,000 cases if things continued like that. So um, that's when we were really working hard on uh, plans for what do we do with our uh, health care system and the hospitals and surge capacity and um, alternative care sites and um, crisis standards of care if we can't provide um, the, the health care and, and medical resources to everybody that, uh, that needs it. Um, so I was quite thankful to see that the uh, the governor took that action, and we were able to flatten the curve with a, that stay-at-home order stuff. Yeah, I know that wasn't a popular decision for the governor, but he was sort of in a no-win situation, as have you been many times, Kevin, in a no-win situation. When we're looking at uh, new cases, are we looking at the number of cases? Are we looking at the percentage of positive uh, cases that we have in relationship to the number of tests we do? Can you Can you clarify all that for me? Yeah, we're we're really looking at both, Sherry. Um, so we we want to see a um, a reduction in the number of new cases that are occurring from day to day. Uh, so um, on our dashboard, we we plot uh, the number of new cases that we're reporting each day, and we we also plot the the seven day um, moving average of uh, daily new cases because the 
the, the number each day uh, fluctuates quite a bit, just depending on um, how the labs are, are performing and the number of test results we get back, et cetera. Uh, but that seven-day moving average really tends to smooth that, that uh, choppiness out quite a bit. Um, but, but primarily, we've been going up um, with those cases, and we, we need to be going the other direction. Um, the, that increase in cases is because of um, what we, we call our R-naught, our, our, uh, it's our effective transmission rate of the right. disease. And so um, if, we're above, if we're above one, then uh, everybody who uh, gets the disease is infecting more than one additional pers person, so the, that, um, that trajectory continues upward. Um, so we really need um, for people to uh, be isolating uh, if they're positive, uh, if, if they're close contacts of positive cases to quarantine so that they're not exposing other people if they are infected um, and, and yet haven't developed the symptoms yet. Um, and, and we need everybody to be participating in the, the practice of wearing masks because what we know from, from the COVID-19 is that people can transmit the disease um, before they develop symptoms. So um, they, they may not know that they, they ha have any symptoms, but they can transmit the disease several days before they have symptoms. And then we also have cases where people have it mildly enough that they don't really develop any, any significant symptoms um, and so don't know that they're sick but could be transmitting disease. So that's, right. that's the, the reason that the masks are so important. Um, in this process. We're also looking at the positivity rate of the, the percentage of tests uh, that, that are um, taken that come back positive. Uh, because if, the, um, if we have a lot of infection in the community, as we're testing people, we'll have a, a higher number of those test results that come back positive for COVID-19. And if we are at lower levels, uh, and we're uh, doing a, a good quantity of testing, uh, then that positivity rate of the, the tests that are positive for COVID-19 is lower. So we're looking at, at both of those. Um, the, the positivity rate is a, a kind of a, a, a difficult one to um, have as a current number. And uh, the state, and I believe the state has been taking the approach, and I've been mimicking that here of just looking at the, the number of new tests per day. There are actually new people getting tested um, that are reported out versus the uh, number of those tests that are positive. So, uh, so to say that we have the virus under control in our community, and I'm not even sure what that means, is there a number of cases you're looking at a day that we need to get down to? So there are different measures that, uh, uh, and, and the, the numbers, I, I think, nobody knows precisely what the number should be. Okay. And so it's, it's, these are um, sort of uh, theoretical guesstimates of um, what would be good and, and what's not. Uh, but the, the uh, state of California and, and the uh, governor of Nevada have some um, measures that they're using to track and identify counties that have elevated rates of disease transmission. And so one of those measures in common uh, is that there be um, 100 or, or less uh, new cases of uh, COVID-19 per 100,000 population over a 14-day period. 
Okay. And so um, I haven't looked at the number today. I, I did put some uh, figures together for the school district over the weekend, and our our positive or our number of new cases per hundred thousand per day over the past fourteen days at that point was about two hundred and forty. Oh my goodness. So yes, okay. well above that one hundred. Above that one hundred. Yeah. Um, there's also a measure that uh, is the number what the uh, positivity rate if the uh, number of cases per day is over 25 mm -hmm. and uh, so um, over that 14-day period yeah. so even if we get down to much lower rates uh, of new cases occurring if our positivity rate is above seven uh, then that's a flag um, in Nevada um, indicating there may be uh, elevated disease transmission. Uh, well, I think that whatever way you say it right now, Kevin, uh, it's serious here in Washoe County, and we it, need to take it very seriously. We've, I know, you know, we've shut the bars back down um, and mandatory masks, and yet still we have so many cases. What what does that say? Are people not not wearing the masks? Is that is that why we're still getting so many cases? I, yeah, I think we have several things that are working against us. Um, we have people that are um, resistant to uh, wearing the masks and the, the social distancing, et cetera. Um, but we, we also are finding that it's not just a matter of the bars and the, our, our business uh, operations that you know, people may be complying in those settings where they are required to wear a mask in the in the business, et cetera. But we have a lot of private gatherings going on. People that are having birthday party celebrations. We had the the graduations, uh, baby showers, weddings, funerals. We have people that are having um, gatherings and private parties, and they are um, you know getting together with loved ones and friends that they want to see, uh, but they are not maintaining the social distancing and they're not wearing the masks, and we're seeing a lot of uh, spread uh, come out of that. Uh, another thing that we're seeing are people that are um, working um, and need to, and are in many cases providing essential services for our community, um, who are then um, contracting COVID-19 from exposures that they have there with either fellow workers or the public. And then um, there's household spread mm -hmm. that happens from that. Um, and um, particularly, I think, in the Hispanic community, we have um, many extended households um, that are living in, in uh, tighter quarters. Right. And so we're seeing that as, uh, as something that's uh, contributing toward the um, the high number of cases that we have in the Hispanic community. Do you get concerned at all about, and I'm just going to say it, the number of Californians, which is a hot spot, that visit our area. You know, we have offices in Las Vegas, and so I talk to my staff there all the time. And, of course, they, they're they in a little bit of trouble in Las Vegas with their numbers. And uh, they talk a lot about the tourists that are coming to the casinos and that it's a lot of Arizona, California license plates. Does that... Do you think that that plays a part here in Washoe County? You know, uh, particularly uh, early on, um, we saw a lot of our cases were travel associated. Um, I, I continue to remain concerned about the the, the uh, people that are traveling 
um, to and and from the area. We we also have people that are traveling from our community to other areas and then returning, um, and I think that's a contributing factor mm-hmm. uh, in this as well. But I, I don't want to just point to that as right. the driving factor because we certainly have yeah. uh, very high levels of, of community transmission that are occurring from people here just because of the reservoir of the disease that we have right here in Washoe County. Yeah. Let's talk about the testing a little bit. Um, boy, that has been something, such a controversy on the federal level, and then, of course, in many states where uh, more testing should be done, who's getting the test, how do you get the test. Let's, but let's specifically talk about Washoe County, because I think you've put a lot of effort into getting people tested. Um, who should get a test, Kevin? Well, if you have uh, symptoms, even mild symptoms, um, we would like you to, to get uh, tested, and then uh, the we also want to make sure that people um, that are uh, in our priority and, and vulnerable populations are being tested. So um, the uh, staff in assisted living uh, facilities, long-term care facilities, uh, should uh, be tested. Um, the uh, first responders. Uh, fire and, and uh, uh, police, law enforcement, uh, uh, ambulance service, uh, th- those types of people that uh, are uh, coming in contact um, with people that are either COVID or suspected uh, COVID-19 cases um, need to be tested. Uh, and then we're also um, uh, have a priority for uh, people that are close contacts of uh, of positive cases uh, to be tested. We have um, opened up our testing for asymptomatic uh, people, um, and the uh, well, right now we're we're kind of evaluating that because the uh, there's a backlog that's been occurring because so much testing is being done right, right. that it's straining the lab capacity, and so um, I believe today we're getting uh, test results back from. Our uh, testing that we did the collection on Friday, and we're doing this on Wednesday. Yeah, so that's, that's something. Yeah, that people are talking about. How long? Do you separate it into? Would somebody who had symptoms get the test back quicker than somebody that was asymptomatic? Um, we do not have a mechanism for that right now. We do have a priority for first responders. Okay. So we try to get their tests through the system because we're trying to maintain, make sure we maintain that uh, workforce. And if uh, somebody is uh, tested and they don't get the results back right away, uh, they have the potential for exposing additional people in law enforcement or uh, fire EMS response, et cetera, and we want to try to make sure that we have them available. Okay. Um, so... So the backlog is at the lab area, and certainly because you're doing so many tests, and it's taking five to seven days to get it back. What does that do to inhibit your contact tracing? So the uh, it it's, uh, creates an impediment to our, our contact tracing being effective, uh, because many times people aren't aren't getting tested right away. They're they're starting to feel sick, and then they said, "Oh well, I, I should get in and get tested." Um, and then it may take it uh, several days for for them to get scheduled and and be tested. Um, so that whole time frame timeline between 
symptom onset, and when I, we finally get the results, um, can put us so far down the, that uh, uh, period uh, where the people that they had exposed might have been infectious uh, that it's too late to, to try to, to prevent further spread uh, from contact tracing of those individuals. Yeah. And I would add that while we've uh, been working to staff up to have more staff longer term uh, in our case investigation and contact tracing also, um, the staffing levels that we had thought a month and a half, two months ago were going to be sufficient or not uh, because of the increased number of cases that we're getting. Um, the National Guard stepped in in April, and they have significantly helped us. But uh, the Guard are, are uh, stepping down from uh, their federal orders uh, currently at the end of the month, and uh, so it's two days away. So we've had to sort of phase them out as we're uh, training up our, our new case investigation and contact tracing staff. Uh, and it takes takes people, you know, up to six weeks to really get fully proficient um, with this, and so that's also impacting our ability to keep up. I think my message is: testing and contact tracing are not the solution. Yeah, it's really everybody's own participation in in fighting this virus yeah. and their individual actions. And then if we can get them to help us bring the case numbers down. Uh, then the testing and contact tracing can be effective because it's it's more of a mop up of those uh, uh, smaller fires that are small smoldering instead of our entire community being on fire. Yeah. Do you see uh, anything that will help the time frame of getting the tests back in the future? More labs, more ability to do more tests. Yeah, I think uh, if we can develop more lab capacity, that will help and. We're currently exploring some some options with uh, uh, local efforts to get additional uh, lab testing done. Uh, so I hope that that will be uh, productive for us. And uh, but the also the an issue is uh, the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're also struggling as our communities across the country with getting the equipment, with getting the uh, uh, testing reagents and materials, uh, the swab collection kits, et cetera, to be able to to uh, continue to run uh, the tests through the facilities that we have. Well, you know, Kevin, uh, we're taping this the end of July, and last night was a school board meeting, and you knew that I wasn't going to not address the issue of the schools. Um, I looked at your and watched your presentation last night about postponing the opening, and I thought you certainly made some valid points. Um, and the, but the school board uh, stuck with their model of going forward to full-time in the elementary and then um, a hybrid for middle school and for um, high school. So. You made some very valid points about that children still can give it to other children. Um, what will be the protocol if there is suspected COVID? Because children run fevers and get the flu all winter long. How how are they? How's the school district going to cope with that, Kevin? It's uh, it's going to be very difficult for them, and we have been working closely with the school district. 
um, on the outbreak um, response protocols for schools this year. And you know, that I, I also just want to recognize the the quality of the the staff that the school district has yes. and the hard work that they've been doing yes. uh, to to try to prepare for these different scenarios, and they're working quite collaboratively with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the they they recognize and understand that uh, it's going to be different this year. And typically, um, when we don't have a COVID nineteen pandemic going on. Uh, when they have elevated numbers of uh, students that are uh, calling in uh, sick or if they have children getting sick at school and it's above baseline levels, then we say, okay, it looks like we've got an outbreak going on mm-hmm. and we're going to have to work together with you and figure out um, you know, what's going on and, and what we need to do. The understanding this year is we know we've got an outbreak going on in the whole community. And so every school uh, will be operating uh, as um, under the basically the assumption that there's an outbreak going on. And so uh, when a parent uh, calls in that their child is going to be absent, uh, they will then be asked a, whole, a number of questions about why, what are the symptoms that the child has, et cetera, um, that uh, normally we only really get into that depth once um, once we have an outbreak occurring. Mm-hmm. And then the school district will be sharing information with us um, on those students as well. So we have a, a snapshot or an idea of what's happening in the different schools. But if But if children are having symptoms, uh, then they're going to be required to be excluded um, if they're c- consistent with COVID-19 uh, with the presumption that that could be a case of COVID-19. And they will need to either um, go through a, uh, a release protocol uh, that would be um, a period of time after they get better before they can return to the, to the school uh, if they have those symptoms, um, or they would need to get the COVID test done and have the results show that it's not COVID-19. And so there, this will be an impact to the parents as well, right. uh, because the, the children that are going to be sick are going to have a longer period of time away from the school, um, and they'll also be impacted if uh, there's the, the delay in getting test results back that would show that it's not COVID-19 that the so child has. If a child, say, in first grade uh, ends up testing positive, or let's say that you're quarantining them if uh, if they have the symptoms but they're waiting for the test, the other students, they don't have to quarantine, but if the child turns out positive, then the other students would need to quarantine? Yeah, we would uh, we would have to figure out whether we needed to quarantine the entire classroom, or we could identify who the close contacts were mm-hmm. um, for the student. We may have to close down the the classroom um, while we're doing that investigation to determine who needs to be quarantined, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the. Uh, the folks that are quarantined, uh, they can't just get tested and then go back to school. Right. Uh, they would really have to spend that 14-day period, even if they tested negative. It uh, doesn't mean that they're not infected and, and couldn't still develop the disease. Right. Wow. It's a it's a whole new world, Kevin. It sure is, and and it's 
it's just startling and amazing how much our world has shifted in just a, a period of a few months. I know. Tell me, over the last four or five months, what has been the hardest for you? I think the uh, one of the, the hardest things has been um, trying just trying to keep up with what's going on and with the increase in cases that that we've seen um, and and tr trying to make decisions with incomplete information that we have yeah and uh, so it's uh, we're, we're really in a marathon this is much different than any other emergency uh, response that I've been involved with uh, a flood or fire those types of things or mm -hmm are usually, you know, a duration of a, of a few weeks uh, either, or, or months at most. Um, this one is, is just going to be going on into the, into the future. So it's a, it's a grueling response. And it, it's been quite amazing and magnificent to me how the health district staff have stood up and uh, taken on every challenge and um, moved outside of any of their normal responsibilities. We've redeployed staff uh, to be dealing with this and have improvised and found ways of uh, setting up our testing operations, for instance, in a way that we can do it while uh, providing for the uh, personal protection of the staff that are engaged in those operations and the testing, et cetera. Um, but also to do it uh, so efficiently that uh, we can open up at uh, 7.30 uh, in the morning and by 11.30 or so have tested 700 people mm -hmm. um, that morning. And uh, so it's uh, it's been hard work. It's long hours. I think one of the hard things is seeing people working so hard um, and who are so exhausted to try to, to protect and, and save our community. Right. Right. Um, while we're losing ground yeah. um, with people that, that aren't making an effort. Aren't making an effort. Yeah, I think that's both at the macro and the micro level um, for all of us. All of us that are taking it seriously and wearing our mask and we get in an elevator and somebody else doesn't have one on. Yeah, um, and, and you know, it's not just, I mean, it's not just the health district staff that are working hard and exhausted, of course. Um, you know, the, we have a... a Families across our community that are traumatized by this and that are that are struggling, that are fearful of mm -hmm. um, losing their their housing, yep. uh, having enough food to eat. It's uh, well, you and I uh, haven't even talked about the economic impact of this. That's a whole other podcast, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we've um, we've we did a whole series with Katie Simon Holland on the school district, and we'll do another one. We've done um, hospitals. We've I've really enjoyed, uh, if I can use that term, uh, this series on COVID-19, and it just keeps evolving and keeps evolving. Um, over the next six months, we know this is not going to go away anytime soon. What are your biggest concerns uh, over the next six months, Kevin? Well, we've got um, the flu season coming up and viral respiratory uh, disease season, and so um, all we know that that flu and, and the viral uh, respiratory diseases are, are going to be coming as they, they always do this kind of year, time of year. But um, we also uh, expect that COVID-19 is also going to become uh, worse as we go through that season since it is a, a viral respiratory uh, uh, disease that, that starts there. 
Um, so uh, we're concerned about that. We're concerned about uh, the fact that uh, uh, we're going to have a lot more uh, people that are symptomatic, and, and we're not going to know whether it's COVID or, or flu or something else, um, and are going to have to presume that most of them do until we can um, get them tested to, to be able to confirm that it's not. So that's, that's one of my big concerns coming up. Um, and then my other concern is um, when we're going to get a vaccine and whether or not it's really going to be effective. Right. Um, there are so many unanswered questions about uh, how the vaccine uh, may, be, may perform and what kind of uh, immunity it can provide, how long it will last, how quickly it will wane. Right. And the distribution of it, how that works. Yeah, that is, that's going to be a, a huge challenge, and it's going to be, again, uh, a matter of what's the supply chain and the logistics that are supporting that. Um, I guess you know, one of the things that we haven't really talked about, and it's tied with the testing as well, um, is that uh, all of our response plans and, and common to organizations nationally rely on the federal government uh, to help with providing the supplies and logistics that we need to respond. Right. And unfortunately, um, what we've seen with this uh, epidemic is a complete abdication at the federal level yep. of, that, of that role um, that only they can really effectively play. Right. Um, and so that's been crippling uh, to us throughout this. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, and the fallout effect of that, uh, multiple fallouts for the federal government um, not stepping up to the plate. Mm -hmm. And that adds to the political issue of the mass. Yes. <laughs> yeah. we, we know that they're all kind of intrinsically tied together, don't you think? Uh, yes, it, it's, I think it's a, a failure of leadership that we yes. see. Absolutely it is. Well, Kevin, I, you know, I don't think, I don't know if you hear this enough, but I personally want to thank you for your efforts for the last uh, five months um, and the all of the time that you've put into this um, to maintain the safety of our community. I don't know that you get told that enough. I know a lot of people, everybody has an opinion. Well, my opinion is that you've done one heck of a job um, I feel much more safe and secure uh, with you at the helm, and I appreciate all of the efforts that you have made. I would love to check back in with you in about six weeks and see if you'll do another. Uh, this wasn't very quick, but maybe a little quicker podcast, and we can get caught up. Um, is that something I can ask for? Certainly, yeah. Circle back around with me, Sherry. Uh, it's been uh, it's been wonderful to to talk with you. Uh, thanks for your support. I really appreciate that. And uh, a, it, it helps buck me up when I hear that from people. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll send you an email that about every couple of weeks just to tell you somebody's thinking you're doing a heck of a job. <laughs> Is there a phone number that you want to give for people to call that have more questions? Yeah, um, thanks for that. Uh, we have a, a call center, and uh, it's 328-2427. Uh, and then also I uh, wanted to remind people that uh, the, we have an online uh, portal for getting scheduled for, for testing, 
And so it's an easy process to do. You don't need to call the call center if you prefer just to go online. Uh, plus, we have uh, many, many uh, information resources available, both in English and, and Spanish. And that's at uh, COVID19Washo.com. COVID19Washo.com. Fabulous. We've been talking today with Kevin Dick, Washoe County District Health Officer, about COVID-19 in our community. Um, fabulous conversation. Uh, Kevin gave us a great deal of information. I want to thank everyone for listening. For a list of future podcasts and existing podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And be safe, everybody, and please, please wear your mask.